He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast, the award-winning podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell gone today. Again, he is still out skiing on the slopes unknown, but T-Dub Taylor Williams is with me today from Chickasha remotely. How are you doing today, T-Dub? Oh, doing great, Sam. Doing great. You know, it's it's nice to have a little bit of this perfect weather, as I like to call it, for the state of Oklahoma. Because last week at this time, I uh, was trying to buckle down and make sure I had enough supplies to uh, get through the winter apocalypse. And now, after we get done, I might go out and play some golf or something. I mean, it's pretty crazy to see to see this weather, Sam. It is a beautiful day. Unfortunately, I have been working all day and will continue to be working all day with the Thunder playing tonight and obviously doing this podcast. So I wish I could get out there. But T-Dub, yesterday I did get out on the range, uh, and you told me to keep you updated on Reagan and how she's doing right-handed. It didn't look too bad. Did you see the video that I posted, T-Dub? I did, Sam. So, I mean, it looks like that, you know, kind of like you're saying, you know, got a little bit more of a control swing going on. Um, it seems like we've got to work on the consistency, you know. I mean, when you do everything uh, left-handed or whatever, then all of a sudden you give uh, right-handed a go, it's uh, – makes things a little bit more interesting. So I think that, you know, for only the, what, second day ever swinging right-handed, it looked pretty damn good to me. Not bad at all, not bad at all. And the most important thing was that she had fun. Uh, T-Dub, you know who's not having fun this week, or really this whole month? That would be Phil Mickelson. Uh, <laughs> Phil. I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse for our man Phil. And, I mean, Tiger had to even lay it on him a little bit today. Tiger did lay it on him today, and if you haven't been on Twitter, uh, I, I say been on Twitter because it basically has broken the internet today. Tiger kind of went at Phil Mickelson, and I said he's been putting Phil in his place for years, and and here's what Tiger had to say. Uh, he screenshotted an old tweet from Phil Mickelson after uh, he won or supposedly won the PIP and Phil back in January tweeted, I'd like to thank all the crazies and real supporters too for helping me win the PIP. To get the second half of the money, I have to add an event that I haven't played in a while. See you in Kapalua. P.S. I'll try to find another hot controversial topic coming up soon. Uh, and Tiger, one word, just said, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> it's just absolutely beautiful, Sam. It's beautiful. I mean, Tiger's been putting Phil in his place for years. Then the bombshell dropped, and uh, and Golf Week came out and said that they have the full 10 list of the PGA Tour PIP list. Do you want me to read that off for you, T-Dub? Please do, Sam. Please, Sam. We got to know who was 1 through 10 because we didn't know what the formula was. We couldn't track it all year. We, we thought we had a winner a couple weeks ago. We got someone new, different winning. So give us the official top 10. Okay, yeah, Phil was not exactly accurate that he won the PIP according to Golf Week and USA Today. So we'll start from 10th. Uh, we have Bubba Watson coming in at number 10. His total PIP award money was $3 million. John Rahm came in at 9th. The U.S. Open winner comes in at 9th place. You would think he would have been a little bit higher. 
He earns $3 million from the PIP awards. Brooks Kepka finishes eighth, which is a little bit interesting. You might have thought that he might have been a little bit higher after all of the Brooks and Bryson controversy of last year. He also gets $3 million. Dustin Johnson, a little bit of a surprise, comes in at seventh, uh, but he did get engaged to Paulina Gretzky, which might have helped him in the PIP. You never know. He gets $3 million. Justin Thomas comes in at sixth. He got $3.5 million. You know, obviously, he had a little bit of controversy uh, over what he said after that putt last year, but then he did win the players, so he had a bunch of good and bad uh you know, relations on social media last year. And then Bryson DeChambeau, he comes in at fifth. So starting the top five, you have Bryson, big man DeChambeau at $3.5 million. And then another, a little bit of a surprise, Jordan Spieth comes in at four, but it's a little bit understandable because he played really well at the Waste Management last year uh, and, and Pebble Beach last year. And so, you know, those are two big tournaments that he played really well in, earning him $3.5 million in the PIP based on social media. And then we get into the top three. Rory McIlroy is in the top three. And T-Dub, I think what Colby was saying a little bit about Rory being the voice of the PGA Tour right now. I could not agree more with that. I think that Rory McIlroy is the voice of the PGA Tour as far as guys other than Phil and Tiger. or, or You know, the younger generation, even though Rory's not necessarily a young guy anymore, he's a veteran, but he's younger than Tiger and Phil and those guys. Uh, I think that Rory is that man right now uh, to kind of voice the opinion of the players. He gets $3.5 million. Coming in at number two was Phil Mickelson. Now, Phil thought he won it, but he didn't win it. Or either Phil thought he either won it or that Tiger wasn't going to say that he won it. But then Tiger comes out and says, not so fast, my friends. Uh, <laughs> Tiger, uh, Phil ends up with $6 million and Tiger coming in at the end of the year just in the nick of time with the swing video that literally broke the internet gets an $8 million PIP bonus. Like Colby said on Twitter, that was an $8 million range ball right there. I'm, I'm, it absolutely was. And like you said, the uh, you know everyone who was a part of that video just absolutely loving it. When they've had upwards of over $8 million views just on just on Tiger's own uh, social media, not shared across all other platforms there. It's very, very interesting. Then you also have, at the end of the year, you had the uh, uh, PNC with uh, Tiger and Charlie. So I guarantee you, that helps uh, boost uh, Tigers up there as well. So, you know, Sam, just going off of the top ten there, just thinking of just kind of going through the official World Golf rankings and some guys who who didn't make it. So so Cantlay wasn't in the top ten. Uh, obviously, Hovland wasn't going to be there because he's known for not having a Twitter, so I don't think he was really going to make that much of an impact in that aspect. Uh, so Scotty Scheffler, sixth in the world, he didn't make it. Shotley's uh, eighth in the world, he didn't make it. Your boy Cam Smith, tenth in the world, didn't make it. One surprising, uh, you know, the Japanese phenom Hideki didn't make it either. I figured that with some of his international publicity, he may have been able to get there. So, you know, as much as I I'm, I agree with a lot of people that are in that list, Sam, I do think some of those names I listed off were kind of surprising not to make it, especially having someone like Bubba end up cracking the top ten. I found that was interesting. And I would also like to see, you know, who, what was 11 through 15 and how close did it end up being because, you know, if Bubba made, what, $3 million or whatever to finish 10th, I mean, you know, some of those guys, you know, if you're just a couple points away or whatever it is in 11th, you might not be the happiest camper around. So those are the things I would like to know, Sam. But, I mean, what are your initial takes on just some of those guys who I listed off? 
that didn't end up making the top 10. Yeah, I think the most surprising, I agree with you, T-Dub, is Hideki Matsuyama. You would have thought that his social media presence, especially in Japan and around the world, would have really, you know, popped off after he won the Masters. And uh, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We still don't exactly know how they do the PIP, right? It, it, they say it's social media presence, right? And so... To me, I mean, you can get a lot more retweets. We don't see Hideki Matsuyama out there tweeting a lot and stuff like that. You know, it it would have had to been from other other people, and it, it's kind of one of those deals, T Dub, where how are they doing it? Like, it's harder to get someone to repost your Instagram post than it is to get someone to retweet your tweet. So, is it all just based on numbers, and it's the guy that? has the funniest tweets or the best tweets like a Phil Mickelson. Obviously he won the PGA. And so that got him a lot of it, but then he ended up engaging on Twitter after the PGA, getting him a lot more retweets and stuff. So how is it judged? I mean, they kind of told us, but they kind of didn't. And it kind of ended up seeming like a top 10 list of the most popular players on the PGA tour. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like you relating to there, you know, what defines the popularity? Uh, one thing that the tour wanted to make very clear when this came out was that, you know, any negative publicity isn't going to count, right? So if you have the old Happy Gilmore, um, Bob Barker fist fight on the golf course, that's, that's not going to count towards your rating no matter how, how many millions of views it gets. And so, you know, something like the uh, Brooks-Bryson debate was, that was the question I had the whole time was, well, is this considered a good thing for the PJ Tour or bad? What What is the PJ Tour defining that? And Never really knew the answer to that, and we still don't. And so, well, I think, I, I think it, it ended it, up being it ended up being good for the tour. It drew people in to watch, you know, the PGA Tour, right? I, I I think that it was good, yes. And you know, I think that you know, like Colby had mentioned this before that he thought that it was taken a little too far, and so I could not disagree with that anymore. And so, yeah, it, I don't think it caused any problems, right? But my tour. point is. I just, I, my point is, T-Dub, they're both in the top 10 list. So you would I'm saying that the PGA Tour thinks it was good, right? Yes, yes. And so that, that was the question I was asking was, is that, you know, what would the Tour consider in a few? So then are, the question for that is, is that are we going to see more things like this transpire between players, just kind of having little petty fees or whatever it is to try to get in this money? And I, I think the answer to that is probably yes. And is that a bad thing for golf? I don't think it is. I, th- I think it's good, especially if it's all – you know, even even if there are fist fights done on, you know, the old Bob Barker at the Gilmore, it's going to be entertaining for us. So, I might as well just let them rain. So, I, I don't know, Sam. I just think that I wish that, you know, whenever it's the first year of something being, being implemented like this, you understand there's going to be some fallout and there's going to be some things that maybe need to be tweaked and all that. And so, I just hope that for next year we can get more of a, uh, a clear-cut kind of – don't necessarily need the whole algorithm by any sense, but just some – you know what are the main things that they want to look for? What are the what are the one metrics that outweigh everything? It's like you said, is it is it just the numbers? Is it does the Twitter versus Instagram thing have anything to do with it? So I just hope that just kind of go along with other things, Sam. If the truth can just be more transparent on that aspect, I think everyone would be happy. And so hopefully next year we'll get to see that. Yeah, and guys like Colin Morikawa today are tweeting out saying, you know. I'm, I'm ashamed that I finished 11th on the PIP list, even though there's no such thing really. Right. You know? And so I think a lot, you're going to, but my point here is you're going to, 
upset a lot of guys on the PGA Tour because it's not that transparent. You're going to make 10 guys happy, and those 10 guys don't need $3 million anyways, right? Or $8 million for Tiger is the same thing as 5 bucks for you and me. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really kind of, you know, confusing a lot of guys that are in the 10 to 20 range that if they continued the PIP list down, they're saying, you know, what are we doing here? You know, how are you, how are you kind of making this list? Right, T-Dub? And, you know, I think that it's an interesting aspect because, you know, I would argue that the PJ Tour is probably the most beneficial to the guys on tour who are like, for example, the, the 11 to the 30 range, right? So because, you know, if you're someone like Tiger or Phil, you have a claim to be against the PJ Tour owning all your media, right? Because, you know, Tiger and Phil, you add up both their PIP here, it's $14 million. And I think that if they had all their own individual media, right, they'd be able to sell that 80 times over or something around there. So, I, I, But right. you look down and the guys who are like 11 through 30, they're going to be the ones that are most upset about this because they're not going to know really how far away they were from getting it and, you know, what else they needed to do to make it. But on the flip side of that, I think the tour has been better for those guys over the long term as compared to what the pips is now. So it's almost like, I don't know. It's almost like the, the PIP was just kind of something to kind of make everyone else happier when it comes to revenue uh, sharing and all that. But I, I just think that it's, it's kind of been a misguided attempt at that. So we'll see how it transpires. But I agree with you, Sam. I just think that those guys 11 through 30, even though they've been more benefited from the tour, I would say, especially over the last 20 years, I, I don't think they're going to be the happiest with the way this formula has gone this year. Yeah, and it was obviously the PGA Tour's attempt at giving out some guaranteed money, right? And then the other flip side of that is the fact that, you know, if they have $40 million to just give to this social media PIP stuff, how much money do they have laying around behind the scenes? And I think that that's one thing that Phil could have been correct about, except for the fact that he just totally screwed himself by saying it in the wrong way. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, last uh, last week on my uh, on the other podcast, Birdies for Everyone, I broke down for about an hour. I broke down the uh, the PGA Tour's essentially financial statement from the last year was 2018. I broke down some things on there, and you know, Sam, I think one of the main things that I got out of that was just how much really the executives were getting paid for the most part. I mean, you had there's at least 15 guys on there who were made o- over a million dollars, and Jay Monahan uh, in 2018. The commissioner would have been the hit, the fifth highest paid player on the PJ Tour off his salary, which was seven point five million, and he didn't hit a shot. And and also the thing up there, Sam, I want your opinion on this since you brought it up. The, the number one thing I complained about was that on the financial statement, the PJ Tour they claimed that they spent fifteen million dollars in on the advertising budget for the PJ Tour, and they spent twenty one million dollars. So that's six more million dollars on transportation and travel. And the PGA Tour players don't have to pay for all their travel. So the Tour spent six million more dollars on their executives to travel the tournaments, first class in some events as well, than they did for the advertising of the Tour. What are your thoughts on that? It doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, you're paying your <laughs> people that work for you except for the players, right? Because the players are independent contractors. 100%. It's- it's one of those things where if I if I get into it now, I'm just going to keep on ranting. I mean, those are just some of the small things I noticed. But yeah, it's 
add an extra $40 million bit out there, and you know what? There's a lot more of it to be had, man. There truly is. And, I mean, granted, the funny part about it is they're compensating the top 10 guys that their sponsors pay for everything anyways. <laughs> it, it's just the rich get richer, and the, uh, you know, that's the thing that gets me is that, you know, these mini-tour guys are, or, you know, how many guys just get out there on the tour and they've been having to pay off their sponsors for the last 10 years that they've been trying to make it, you know? It's like, but I hear stuff like that, and I see this greediness on the tour. It really upsets me, Sam. It truly does. But, um, you know, I think that at the end of the day, <clears throat> the tour is starting to realize some things they need to do better. I just think that they're not really going about it the best way that they could. I do think that the Saudi League stuff has been a big slap in the face to the PGA <laughs> Tour saying we need to correct some things, though. Do you agree? I I do. And I, my, my worry was, was that is that they had started to notice the, the things that they needed to notice and the things that were changing. And then all the slack that Phil and the Saudi League were getting was going to halt some of that. So I, I hope that that's not the case, and I hope that you know the positive that would what, that would have came from the Saudi League if or when it does become fruition. I hope those things just continue to happen because there are numerous examples of how the church could be better, and I just hope that they're starting to acknowledge that. Just not even for the betterment of just the players, but the betterment of golf in general, which I think would happen um, at the end of the day. Yeah, to me, the PGA Tour got off the hook by what Phil said about the Saudis. And really, I mean, it would have happened whether it was Phil or Bryson or someone else. The The public backlash with the Saudis was inevitable to me. But the, the PGA Tour got off the hook a little bit that it was the Saudi people trying to, and Greg Norman, trying to take them over, right? Where is if, if it was clean money doing this stuff, then the PGA Tour was in big trouble. And that's what I mean by it was a slap in the face. It's kind of like, hey, we need to change some things here and make uh, compensations to people that we need to and, and compromises to other people and kind of, you know, figure some things out here. Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, they don't need to start tweaking these things because the Saudi League is a threat. I think they need to start tweaking these things because if they don't tweak them soon enough, then there is going to be a competitive tour that does come around that does want to push the PJ Tour out of the way, and it's not going to have the blood money that's attached with the Saudi League. So I think that they just – hopefully this was a wake-up call for them and so that whenever opportunities like this do show up and they say, oh, you know, all these guys are thinking about leaving. You know, we, maybe we should, you know, revamp the way that we're doing things. Hopefully they can do that sooner rather than later because I, I think that if the Saudi League even does fall apart, Give it five or ten years, there's going to be another tour coming down the line that wants the exact same thing. T-Dub, I totally agree that I think the PGA Tour will do things better and more innovative in the future. You know who else does things better and more innovative is our newest sponsor, Groovit Brushes. Now, Clint Sanderson is from Oklahoma. This is an Oklahoma-based company. He plays his golf out at Belmar. Everyone should be familiar with Belmar Golf Club down in Norman. Uh, T-Dub, let me ask you a question. Do you ever spit on your golf club? I literally do it every shot, Sam, every shot. Every shot. And are you a tee guy or are you a brush guy? Do you clean out your grooves with your tees or do you clean it off with a brush? I, I use the brush. I got I got the uh, the retractable one and everything. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of a little old school. Like okay, so let me ask you another question. On that brush... Does it have water inside of it that you can squirt on the club? If it, if it did, I wouldn't need to spit, man. Exactly, exactly. So, 
Groove It Brushes has come out with the most innovative brush of all time. And this thing is sweet. It's bigger brush. It has the harder bristles. It is big time. It's not heavy whatsoever. And it has a magnet. It doesn't have that little elastic thing that you pull out and it ends up drooping on your bag and then hitting you in the leg when you're walking with your bag on your back. It has a magnet. You can just pull it right off, squirt the water or the soap, whatever you want to put in there on your club and brush it off. I know that they have you know, three or four guys on the PGA Tour whose caddies use this, and it's about to get big time, and they're just now tapping the scene of Oklahoma, and like I said, it's an Oklahoma-based company, but they're doing big numbers. They're working with our guys' squares up in the Northeast. I know that for sure. They're a big-time company, and Clint Sanderson is a guy with a huge personality, great, great guy. I want you guys to go support Groove It Brushes, and T-Dub, let me tell you this. For a limited time only, our listeners of the 73rd hole can use code 73rd hole. That's 73RDHOLE on grooveitbrush.com and get $2.50 off their Grooveit brush and have it sent right to your house. If you have anything wrong with it, send it back. He'll send you a new one. Clint is the man. He is the best in the business of golf brushes, T Dub. What are your thoughts on our new sponsor? I need to get me one of those, Sam. I'm one of those. I I usually either come in a little steep on it if I have to, or, you know, you play in the red dirt that Oklahoma is, and, you know, the the grooves get dirty. They really do. And, you know, I don't like using the tee because it it grinds a little bit. It's kind of like nails on a chalkboard. That's no fun. And, you know, I think the main thing you mentioned earlier is just the the brushes that slouch over and they start to break real easily, the real cheap ones you get. And, uh, you know, groove it. They're not dealing with it like that. So definitely got to get me one of those. And, uh, you know, I definitely love that the brush is making a return because I think every golfer needs one for sure. I totally agree. And the, the big thing that you notice when you see the brush, I mean, it's about two inches wide. It's not one of those little toothbrush type things as well. Uh, so it is absolutely big time. Big thank you to Groove It, And we will be doing big things with them here in the future. Like I said, not just for golf clubs. You can use them on shoes. You can use them on whatever. But these Groove It brushes are the next big thing in the golf industry. All right, T-Dub. So, speaking of the next big things in the golf industry, the young men on the Oklahoma Sooner roster are just balling right now. And they win again for the third tournament in a row. And I said last week, OU's biggest key is they need Patrick Welch, Vinny, the cross-handed bandit, to start playing some better golf so OU can really dominate in the national championship. And guess what? What'd he do? He went out and he won the golf tournament. Drew Goodman, their freshman, finishes second. You know, OU is hooping right now. And I don't see anyone even in the same league as the Sooners right now. I mean, Sam, they're making it look easy. I mean, they won won by uh, seven shots over Pepperdine the defending national championships. OU shot 38 under par, Sam. They beat, like they beat Pepperdine by seven. They shot 31 under. Texas, who we talked about, maybe not necessarily having their best stuff. They seem to come back a little bit. They finished third at 29 under. But OU, Sam, I mean, they go 268, 282, 276. And, I mean, just make it look easy. And like you said, when you have you have so many – whenever you have multiple players on your roster who could individually win the tournament, you're going to be in business. And I mean, when you got Chris Goddard up, Logan McAllister, and, and now uh, Vinny Patrick Welch looking as good as he is, you got three guys. He'll go out there and win a tournament any step of the way. And you also got uh, Andrew Goodman, the freshman, 
finished T second at eleven under for the tournament. Uh, only person he lost to was Benny. So I mean, I think that I mean OU is looking so 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 good right now, and you know you just hope that everything comes together because something's going to have to drastically fall apart for them not to make the uh, the match play portion of NCAA tournament. And at that point, it's just you know who, who's the hotter team that day whenever you guys tee it up. So I think that's the only thing that's really stopping OU right now. It could be one of those things too, Sam, where. You know, a lot of people say the only person that can beat you is yourself. And I kind of feel like OU's in a situation like that currently. Yeah, and the most impressive thing to me about what the Sooners did this week was Chris Goddard finished actually 50th in the golf tournament. He shot 68, good first round, and then he followed it up with a 76-74. So why that's impressive to me is that Chris Goddard's going to be just fine. He's one of the best players in college golf and amateur golf as a whole. And for the Sooners to go out and dominate this tournament without your best player playing with his best golf in the last two rounds, that just says the world to me. I mean, you look at you look at Goddard up too, Sam, especially on the final day. You know, he he, he went out and, and obviously shotgun starts a difference. They may not start here, but he made two bogeys, two birdies on his front nine, and then just made eight pars and a double on his back nine. So I mean you got to think there, there's some things that go in that usually when a great player is dealing with that, the putter's not really working for him. So hopefully that's the case. But yeah, when you go when you go from 68, then you go up to 76. You know something had to have gone wrong there. So hopefully he's able to get a fix. But when you have Patrick Wells finish first, Drew Goodman t second, and Logan McAllister uh, t seven at, at nine under par, uh, you're going to be all right. And it allows you the availability that you know if one of your good players does have an off week, you're still able to have a chance to win a, a team event. And that's exactly what OU did this week. Right, and uh, the guys that tied for second with Drew Goodman of OU are two familiar names as well. Cole Hammer from Texas finished with two 67s on the last two days to finish tied for second. And then Highsmith, Joe Highsmith from Pepperdine, who you'll remember from the national championship, shot 68, 72, 65. Uh, So they all tie at 205, and Vinny wins it by three. Uh, So that was a heck of a golf tournament down there at Southern Highlands in Vegas. I mean, it was a stellar tournament. Like I said, you know, you got uh, uh, OU winning, winning by the seven strokes over Pepperdine National. You know, William Mal didn't have his, his best stuff for Pepperdine. I can't, I'm trying to get his scorecard pulled up right here. It's not working. They did shoot 15 under the last round, so you got to watch out for them. And, you know, like I said, Sam, I think the interesting thing to take from here is uh, we keep talking about Texas a lot and what, what can they bring. And, you know, we look at OU, OSU is kind of 1A, 1B. It's almost to a point to where I think OU might be putting themselves into a uh, into a, a one AAAA category, if that makes sense. So um, I, I think that Texas is, is a highlight here too. And you know, without uh, Pierce Cooney in the lineup, who I'm not sure where he was at, but uh, you know, Texas could be a team to watch out for. Maybe not necessarily in the national tournament, but definitely in the uh, Big Twelve tournament down at Trinity Forest in a month or two. No doubt. I mean, Cole Hammer is the big defending Big Twelve champion. Um, and Cole Hammer, by the way, doesn't it feel like he's been in college for about 10 years? It feels like he's been there for, for like, yeah, 10 years. I think the reason it feels like that is because he, uh, he played in the U.S. Open when I think he was 16 years old, uh, very similar to Spieth and Bo Hoster. Not sure what Texas is doing to get a 16-year-old to be able to make the U.S. Open, but doing a great <laughs> job, whatever it is. So, yeah, I think that, I think that's why it seems like he's been there for so long, but, uh, you know, we'll, you know, with how the uh, the COVID stuff has messed up eligibility, we may look on it in two years, and he might still be on the team. I don't even know how that stuff works anymore. Now, T-Dub, we got to get to the Oklahoma State Cowboys, and it was not as pretty of a sight in Cabo. Uh, man, 
Look at those scores from the Cabo Collegiate. Oklahoma State had the lead headed into the third round and actually ends up finishing seventh. But it wasn't like they played terrible. Everyone else around them just went off. I mean, look at this. Vanderbilt shoots 265 in the final round. Texas Tech shoots 262 in the final round. Cole Sherwood from Vanderbilt shoots a 61 in the final round to propel him to the win at Cabo. And, you know, T-Dub, here's the deal is Ludwig Aberg, I mean, he shoots a 74 for Texas Tech in the first round, and then he follows it up with a 65-63. You know, and if I read the scores off from Vanderbilt, they go 69, 67, 68 in the final round of the other guys. Texas Tech goes 66, 66, 71, 67 for their guys in the final round. Arkansas goes 65, 69, 68, 69. Uh, Florida State goes 67, 69, 67, 70. Ole Miss goes 68, 70, 70, 70, 69. Tennessee goes 65, 68, 70, 71. And then you get down to Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State goes 69, 71, 69, but then a 75 and a 73 that really cost them in the final round. Eugenio Lopez Chikara did finish top 10. He finished ninth in the tournament with a 67, 68, 69. How would you like to shoot a little 204 T-Dub and finish ninth in the golf tournament? It <laughs> goes to show you, kind of like we talk about all the time with how, how deep golf, especially collegiate golf, is now. You know, just listen off those teams that you mentioned, mentioned, especially in the top in the top four. I mean, you had one hell of a tournament. I mean, Vanderbilt 32 under, and then fourth place is Arkansas. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they were 28 under. So, I mean, at any point, you could have any of these teams would have gone out there and win, just have a couple more putts fall, fall this way or another. But, you know, I think the main thing you take away from what happened to OSU, Sam, is that whenever you you have to take a, a um, uh, your second – or, your I'm sorry, your fourth best player was uh, uh, Rayon, Rayon Thomas, and he shot plus seven for the mm-hmm. tournament. I mean, and whenever you have to do that, you're not able to – you get into a situation kind of like OU was at Nationals last year, right? We only have three guys who are, are playing good. The difference is that with match play during that aspect, you pretty much have two guys that are going to lose, and then you have three guys who need to win. And look at it when you have uh, Rayon Thomas shoot seven over and then uh, Jonas Baumgartner shoot nine over, it, it, it makes it to where you can't throw out one of those bad scores because you have to take one of them. And, you know, as great as it was to see Bo Jin come back, he finished T12 at, uh, at minus seven. Uh, tied with Brian Stark as well. You mentioned Jakara finished ninth. So it's it's whenever you got that going on, man, you, it's kind of even a little different than OU, right? Because they still have if, if Bo Jen's able to get his game back to where it looks like he's able to, OSU is going to have those three guys who could go out and win the tournament. Maybe not to the same caliber as OU is, but still fairly close. But the problem is, is that when your four and five men are, are shooting over par each time. It, it, it makes it almost impossible for those other three guys to be able to keep up in stroke play. Yeah, I would be surprised if we see Thomas or Baumgartner in the next tournament. I think you might see Gupta, maybe one of those two, probably Rayon in the next tournament. Amon Gupta probably gets up into the starting five for the next tournament. But the silver lining to me, you brought it up a little bit there, T-Dub, is Bo Jin is starting to play some better golf leading up to postseason in college golf. And he goes 68, 69, 69, 206 for Bo Jin. It seems like he's getting things figured out a little bit. 
And, and you know, I, I hope he does because I remember watching him. Him and Cole Hammer were in that final group at, at Big 12 last year when we were up there. And he's got such a beautiful golf swing, makes such great contact with the ball. Seems to be a really good um, course manager as well. He was able to plot around Prairie Dunes fairly well, which is not an easy thing to do, especially for a, a young a young individual, 20 years old, however Bo Jen is. So I, I think that it was just a matter of time before he came back. Uh, you know, we talk about it all the time, right, with guys who go up to OSU and you know, you get out and you don't have your best stuff at Carson Creek. It's really easy to quit to quit the game because you're you're never going to make tournaments and you're going to shoot ninety every time. So I mean, <laughs> it's not very fun to deal with. So you know, it, it's really good to see to see Bo Jen back and you know, hopefully for OSU's sake, he's able to keep it going and then get that fourth and uh, fifth back figured out. I totally agree. And then on the women's side for OSU T Dub, we had an interesting story kind of pop up uh, about the cowgirls. Uh, do you want to share that one? So this is one of the more interesting things that I can remember in a long time. So uh, two great two great uh, women's players for the OSU uh, College Girls golf team, Isabella Ferrero and um, Haley uh, McGinty, I believe is how you say her last name. Uh, McGinty is, was, is ranked 12th in the uh, women's amateur golf rankings, and Ferrero is ranked um, 37 currently. So two ladies inside the top 37 in the world amateur golf rankings, Sam. They have both entered the transfer portal which is something that we talked about for OU and OSU men in particular last show, how that could have an impact on those schools going forward because, and how that'll influence um, how golf, uh, amateur golf in particular. But, but Sam, to have the middle of the season, your two best players enter the transfer portal, what is going on up in Stillwater? I don't understand it. I mean, I, I would have to get some more back backstory and information on maybe they're not happy with the coach or, or maybe they're, you know, planning on, it doesn't sound like they're planning on turning pro, which is what happens with a lot of those good uh, girl golfers that are that are kind of world beaters on the uh, on the college level. They tend to leave a little earlier than guys do. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you have any do you have any thoughts on it? I, I I can't really put a finger on it. So so from just reading the article, it says right here: in Oklahoma State's case, Ferrero and McGinty's decision to enter the portal reflects both an easier system for moving between programs as well as college experience changed by COVID. But but to me, that, that still doesn't answer why you do it in the middle of the season. That's what's so weird about it. It's like it's March 2nd. They've already played, what, one or two tournaments so far in the spring. Uh, if they wanted to leave so bad, they could have done that opportunity in December or November or whenever it was to get, uh, to get eligible for the uh, spring semester at another school. So, you know, it's just so weird to me because also, OSU, you know, and this, this article is on uh, golfweek.com, by the way, for, for anyone who wants to go check it out. Uh, they were ranked, after the, uh, after the fall season, they were ranked number two in the country. And then to have your, and then they finished uh, third at one tournament, and then they finished uh, third at another tournament. As a, that's the two tournaments this year. So that's so weird to me. Uh, McGinty had a scoring average of 68.5. Ferreira had a scoring average of 70.5. And so, like I said, your two uh, best players, both of them are going to be in the field at the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur. So that'll be interesting to see what goes on there. But I don't know. It's just so weird to see it happen in the middle of the year. And, you know, without without ripping the ladies too much, I mean, if I see that happen in any other, any other instance, I'm saying, you know, you're a quitter and what's going on. So, you know, until until we hear some insight as to why both these ladies left, I mean, that's the, that's the insight we have to take. And you know, I know there's a lot, a lot of highly passionate college golf fans around the state, Sam. And I mean, many of them on the OSU side are not happy about this news. And I just, I would like to see some more details because 
this is one of the more weird circumstances I've ever seen. And it'll be interesting to see how much news this really garners because two of uh, number 12 and number 37, the women's amateur ranking quit your program middle of the year. Something's going on up there, Sam, and I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't really get it either. And and the weird part about it, like you said, is the timing. You know, if they were that upset about it, why not do it to be eligible for this semester? And then the other thing is they've had a great year. <laughs> they've been That's playing great saying. golf, right? And they've been both of those players have obviously been playing, so it's not playing time. I don't know what it is. I mean, it, they cited COVID, which sounds like an, an excuse to me for something else going on. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to kind of sit back and watch. Do you think that there's a possibility that players might keep doing this uh, just to keep their options open after every year so they're kind of a free agent after every year and then just keep going back to school at, in this instance, OSU? Yeah, so, I mean, I said the same thing about uh... – uh, college football players, and I'll say the same thing in this instance. I mean, I, I think that if you're if you want to explore all your options, you should enter the portal after each year, no matter what's going on with your situation, just to be able right. to test test the waters. But I, I'm just the number one thing that I don't understand is the timing of it. I, I, I would there's no qualms about any of this, Sam. If if let's say after the East Lake Cup that they played in, and if if the the Wednesday after that happens, if the ladies enter the transfer portal, that's understandable. Why it would happen, we'd still question it. But it makes a lot more sense than literally just essentially leaving the team kind of stranded in the middle of the season. And, you know, just trying to outlook for the, the future of the OSU women's program. It's, I mean, they, they had the, the talk to being a potential national championship winner this year, Sam. And but they're still I mean, playing. I don't think that's going to happen. They're still playing, right? So, no, they're, they're, they're not playing anymore, Sam. So it says right here in the Golf Week article. Uh, Coach Robertson handled uh, McGinty and Ferrer's decisions in the same way, creating a policy that if a player decides to enter the transfer portal, she loses access to Oklahoma State golf resources, which includes tournament play, course facilities, and workout facilities. So there, there, there's no going out to uh, Carson Creek and getting in a, uh, a quick 18 for these ladies. If they are in the portal, they are not technically on the uh, OSU women's golf team. Wow. I mean, that's shocking. I mean, Isabella Ferreira won, what, two weeks ago? Like on February 14th, right? As an individual? Yeah, yeah, won her first tournament so two weird. years. Yeah. It's so weird. Um, wow. There, there, there's got to be something else under, underneath all of this, Sam. I just and, and so I don't that, know if we'll ever get to figure it out. Also, to me, that sounds like a team rule. Like each team decides whether that, that guy can play or not or girl can play. Yeah, that would be interesting to see because, like, it's, like, I don't know, you don't see in football, right? You don't see any players in the portal and still playing on Saturday. So that's uh, – Right, but players normally aren't pissed off if they're starting. Well, that's a good point. So it's uh, – it's, it's just, you know, you don't really even see them on the reserves either. So that's, uh, yeah, definitely interesting. But, I, yeah, hopefully that, uh, you know, for us covering the situation, we'll get some news uh, come out in the next uh, next few weeks or a month or so regarding – situation up there in Stillwater because it's one of the more bizarre things I can remember seeing in the college golf landscape. It is. And uh, speaking of the college golf landscape, T-Dub, next week we have a big, big interview with three of the biggest players from the Oklahoma Sooners. We'll have Logan McAllister, Chris Goddard, and the champion from this week, Vinny, the cross-handed bandit Patrick Welch, will all be on the show. We're doing a show live from the
the co-center down in Norman. And so that's going to be really fun next Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, T-Dub, on the other side of the break, we will get to the Arnold Palmer Invitational and give all our picks for that, as well as the Puerto Rico Open on the other side of the break. Stay with us here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back on the other side of the break on the 73rd hole, the award-winning official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go to GolfOklahoma.org and get all of your recent golf news in the state of Oklahoma. I'm sure there'll be some stories on what we just talked about as far as OU and OSU go. I know for a fact there's going to be a story on Taylor Gooch that I'm doing coming out in the newest issue that will be the PGA Championship preview issue. And so get your issue today and make sure you're subscribed so you can get that memorabilia it'll it'll be a memorabilia you'll be able to post it up on the wall frame it and say that you were there at southern hills and get that preview issue it'll be big time also i mentioned before the break our newest sponsor groove it brushes clint sanderson our man here from oklahoma is the founder and the ceo of groove it brushes go to groove it brush dot com right now and you will get two dollars and fifty cents off of your groove it brush if you enter the promo code 73rd hole that's 73rdhole on grooveitbrush.com all right t-dub arnold palmer invitational and the way we need to start this off every single year for the arnold palmer invitational is giving our respects to the GOAT, Arnold Palmer. We talked about PIP in the first segment. Arnold Palmer would have won the PIP every single year if he was still on the PGA Tour. I mean, you want to talk about just an absolute legend. I mean, Arnold Palmer is the definition of that. I remember, you know, kind of, you know, the only times I really got to see Arnie were in his later years, but it was still such an honor to see him. He kind of still had the classic swing, the uh, kind of helicopter follow through that that never left that never left his arsenal so it was really great to see Arnie and what what all he's really done for the game I mean anytime we turn on uh, the golf channel we have to immediately thank him because without him uh, the golf channel would not exist or the PGA Tour channel as I like to call it now so I definitely think that that Arnie in particular is while a lot of people obviously remember him for for his golf game and all that I think he made most of his impact off the course and you know it's definitely an example that that I personally love 
want to live by because, you know, anyone can be known for, for what they do for, uh, on the golf course, but you really want to be known for what you do off the golf course. Like, like Tiger's trying to do that with his foundation and all that stuff. So I think that, that Arnie was a lot better man than he was a golfer, and that's really saying something because he was one hell of a golfer. I think the most impressive thing that you always hear from Arnold Palmer is that he would write handwritten thank you notes and, and congratulation notes to guys that either win tournaments or, or just people that have made an impact in his life. I think we can all learn from that to take a little extra time and write someone a note or a thank you card or a happy birthday card or something like that. I think that that's the most impressive thing that I always hear about Arnold Palmer. Okay, so this week at the Arnold Palmer Invitational, we have a great field, T-Dub. We have the likes of John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, Sungjae, Matsuyama, Matty Fitz, and on down the list. Do you have the strength of field for me? I do. I do. So, question, Sam, is do you want to try to guess the uh, strength of field separately for Arnold Palmer and Puerto Rico, or do you want to try to guess the difference in the two? I'll try to guess the difference and give me 377. So we, we're quite a bit of ways off on that, Sam, because the uh, the strength of field of Arnold Palmer is really good, and the strength of field of Puerto Rico is, like, disastrously low. So <laughs> strength of field of Arnold Palmer is 534. Okay. Which is uh, which is unbelievable which is unbelievable for the tournament. Because, like you said, we, even with the Bryson withdrawal, we still got that. And so uh, looking at the Puerto Rico Open, Sam, a whopping seven. Seven? You me wrong. Seven. Seven? seven? One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. What? Strength of field. Are you kidding me? <laughs> the Kenya Open has 32 strength of field. The International Series in Thailand, the AG Tour that we were worried about before Phil's comments, has 19. So we're looking at the International Series almost as a triple strength of field than what the Puerto Rico Open has. Well, it makes sense. Now that I look at who's playing in the tournament, you got Matthias Schwab is the favorite in that tournament, uh, he has an 85.8% chance to make the cut for all you degenerates out there that are going to bet on the Puerto Rico Open. Mark Hubbard, uh, Joseph Bramlett, John Ha, and Peter Uline round out the top five favorites for the Puerto Rico Open for all you degenerates out there. There is one, or I'm sorry, there are five players in the field that are better than 200, a whopping five. And only one of them, is is in the top 100 in the world. That is, uh, Chan Kim, or Chan Kim, is uh, is 82nd in the world, second highest, Victor Perez at 108. So, yeah, definitely not the uh, strength of field we were wanting. And you know what's weird about it, Sam, is that usually uh, opposite field events take place on uh, opposite of a world golf championship or a, uh, a major championship. And this is the first time that I can remember it being just off of, I know the Arnold Palmer's an invitational, but still, I mean, to have it, off of that week makes it even worse because I don't, the strength of field had never been this low before. I mean, seven, I mean, that is, I mean, you don't have to scroll down very far there's gotta, for guys who are just searching for stats. There's got to be some corn fairy events that are higher than that. I guarantee you there are. I mean, here, let me try to lift it up real quick. <laughs> but I, I guess I'll go ahead and give out my one and done for the Puerto Rico Open since it makes us do it. I got to go Matias Schwab because uh, Data Golf loves him. And, it, it, I mean, if I look at Matias Schwab over the past year, uh, he's actually played some solid golf. He's gaining over a shot or over half a shot putting, and around the green, he's gaining a shot. 
strokes gained approach, he's gaining 0.65, and total, he's gaining 1.93 on the field so far this year. And, uh, you know, it's pretty impressive what he's done so far this year. So he's by far the best player in that tournament, him along with Peter Uline to me. I think if you're doing a one-and-done draft with your buddies over every tournament, I think you either got to go Schwab or Uline for the Puerto Rico Open. I I agree. I, I, Schwab is my is my one and done figure as well. I think that he's going to be by far the most uh, most owned uh, across all the platforms. So I definitely like to roll with that because the Puerto Rico Open, with how small the first is, really the only way you're going to see any remorse is if um, if for example there's uh, if the winner and you don't have the winner gets it because the winner's only going to get roughly half a million. Which I say only half a million, but still uh, that's not that much compared to for a winner. So uh, scrolling through here, Sam, looks like last year there were, uh, just scrolling through here, there were at least eight Corn Ferry events that had either the same amount of strength of field or higher than the Puerto Rico this year. Wow. What was the highest for the Corn Ferry? What What was their highest strength uh, of field other than the, the finals? Highest one, the highest one I see here is uh, was 11, and that was the uh, nationwide so it wasn't the uh, the tour championship, but it was the nationwide uh, children's hospital class. So it was one of their playoff events at a strength of field of 11. The uh, next highest was a 10, the Evan Scholars Invitational. Uh, that was a 10. So, um, so yeah, just uh, pretty interesting. So basically, Sam, this is essentially like your average corn fairy event this week. Yep, that makes sense uh, for it being a opposite field event on a non-major week. Uh, so let's go to the Arnold Palmer Invitational T-Dub. What are your overall thoughts this week on what you're going to see from Bay Hill? I saw a couple videos that showed Bay Hill has some nasty rough out there, especially around the greens. Maybe they'll cut it. Maybe they won't. It looked pretty gnarly out there. Um, what are your overall thoughts on this week, and, and who are you kind of liking slash leaning towards? Don't give out your picks, but just kind of the type of golfer that you look for at the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Bay Hill. Yeah, so anytime you're dealing, dealing with really any course in Florida, it seems like you got your water that you're going to deal with. And so obviously the sixth hole there, the par five, is, is really telling because that's the one that Bryson essentially tried to drive the green green on. You have number three and number 11 have a lot of water. Obviously 18 with the water at, at uh, on the side of the green. But, you know, one thing, Sam, that we got to look at too is, you know, what's the weather going to do? Um, you know, Terrell Hatton won. One there at uh, at four under or whatever it was. There were only three or four players I said, under part of the year that he won. It wasn't last year; it was two years ago, I believe, because uh, Bryson won it last year. I That's the year that so, that Taylor Gooch said it played harder than the U.S. Open. Yeah, and I mean that that's very telling there. So you know, looking at looking at kind of the guys that have had success at this course in particular, they're usually the really good drivers of the ball. It's a, it's a pretty dominant driver and golf course. So I mean, anyone who's able to hit. Like a John Rom, that type, that type of guy is just automatic driver. He's going to do real well anywhere. But nevertheless, that's the kind of game you look at. And and obviously too, with it being Bermuda Greens, you look at someone like Sung Jay, who's who's had a really good uh, success there. So yeah, Sung that's Jay, kind of what great, I'm looking at. Great, great player, Sung Jay. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I picked him last week in the one and done, and he burned me. Oh, just I mean, he got you so good. And that that happens over the course <laughs> of a long year, and and you know it's. It's just kind of like, you know, Sam, you, you sometimes a week early on people, so this might be the week for him. Unfortunately. I'm looking, at the guys, I'm looking at the guys who drive the ball really well, Sam. Those are kind of the guys that I'm rolling with. So what are you looking at this week? 
I, I agree with you. And it's guys, like you said, um, you know, it, it's going to play hard, so it might bring some kind of long shots into it. We'll get to best bets later, but man, this year with this field, I have to, I have to roll with big names. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, the top, I mean, Taylor Gooch, he's third in the FedEx Cup right now, and he's like 30th uh, on Data Golf's favorites this week. I mean, this, this goes down the list. Corey Connors, who we saw play really well here uh, last year, is like 32nd on Data Golf's favorites. This, this field is stacked this week. Uh, so, T-Dub, let's go ahead and dive into our DraftKings lineups. Uh, go ahead and we'll just go back and forth since Colby isn't here. So, just give me your least expensive option. All right, so my least expensive option here, I felt felt really good with being able to get a lot of good players in my lineup who I think that, you know, I didn't have to go extremely top-heavy. I felt like I was still able to get really good top help and also uh, be able to get some players middle of the pack. So 7,200, I really like this pick even though I don't like the player. 7,200, I really like uh, Ian Poulter this week, Sam. I really do. I mean, he's played here more than almost anyone, almost more than anyone else has. And so in, six, in 56 rounds here, Sam, He's getting point seven one on the field. Only has, I believe, one or two missed cuts in there over the course of like fifteen years at this place. So, uh, love me some Ian Poulter this week, and uh, you know, for seventy two hundred, that's a really good deal for me in my opinion. So, T Dub, last week I said you get three strikes for this guy. He's had two strikes so far. He had a foul tip last week. Okay, he made contact. He's still he's still up to bat, man. If I don't do it again, I have to do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Give me Ricky Fowler for my cheapest option at 6900 I mean, Ricky Fowler staring you in the face at the Arnold Palmer at 6900 I'm going to keep rolling with him until he gets his third strike. And if you look at his previous results, I mean, he's finished 18th, 14th, 12th, third here before, you know, if you got to take a flyer on somebody, he hasn't missed the cut here since 2014. I'm rolling with Ricky Fowler. I mean, could you imagine, Sam, two years ago, if you would have said on DraftKings you could get Ricky for less than 7000 what would you have said? <laughs> that, just like, that is would, insane. Would have went to the betting window so fast, it's unbelievable. And so uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a sign to show where his game is gone. He does really love this place, though. It plays super well here, one of the courses that he really likes. So wouldn't surprise me at all to see a little bit of Ricky Fowler rejuvenation speaking of rejuvenation might be one of my favorite players on the pga tour was able to to save us save us who didn't have willie z at tory pines in the one and done beat him in the playoff 7500 i think this is one of the skills of the tournament give me luke list i mean he's finished uh at 16 rounds here hasn't missed the cut he's gained 1.59 on the field three of those four starts are top 17 finishes and like we mentioned with luke list did win the uh did win the farmers a couple weeks ago and then, uh, then made the cut at uh, at TBC uh, Scottsdale after that. So playing some good golf for Luke List. Did, didn't miss the cut at the Genesis, but coming to a course that uh, that he really likes here at Bay Hill had some good success. And coming off of that first win of his career, really like Luke List seventy five. I don't mind that. I'm staying a little below seventy five. I'm going seventy three hundred. Keegan Bradley. Now Keegan Bradley. 
I don't necessarily know why he's so cheap on DraftKings this week. It might just be a strength of field thing. Um, but he finished 12th at the Sony Open. I mean, he finished 7th at the Zozo, uh, finished 26th at the Waste Management. If, and if I go back through his recent uh, finishes at the Arnold Palmer, he hasn't missed the cut here since 2011. Uh, and last year he finished top 10. Um, so I think that Keegan Bradley at 7,300 is a really good value. I mean, I, I had Keegan in my lineup too, Sam, at one point. Uh, I had to, uh, getting in my last two players, I had to take him out. Because in 38 rounds here, Sam, he's getting 1.25 strokes on the field. Just another guy who really, really likes Arnold Palmer. So I, I really do like Keegan Bradley this week. And I just want everyone out there to know, I did have him in my lineup at one point, took him out. So he's probably guaranteed to finish top five at worst. So <laughs> uh, go ahead and ride the Keegan Bradley train. And, Going up next, Sam. We needed Colby for for my for our little uh, bumper music or not bumper music or soundbite because seventy seven hundred. I'm getting back on the train, Sam. He finished eighteenth and seven here. He's only two appearances in eight rounds. He's gaining two point one on the field. See Bezel seventy seven hundred. <laughs> I think he's guaranteed to make the cut and keep it rolling. Got to ride him. Also, one thing. Well, got to ride, got to ride until he lets you down, and he let me down last time I rode him. So let's hope <laughs> that doesn't happen this time. One thing I like about Steve Bezel Sam is that he played really good in the final round at the Honda, was able to backdoor a, a top twenty-five finish. So I usually like guys who play, come off of a a good Sunday round and playing, especially when it's in the same state and not having to go very far. So I really like Steve Bezel this week. Uh, I, if I had to make a a best bet, it'd probably be a Steve Bezel top twenty. Um, I'm not sure what kind of odds you get on that, but I, I think that is probably my best bet. You know, another best bet that I'm going to have is my next pick, 7,600 Corey Connors. I mean, Corey Connors finished third here last year, and you're going to be able to get some value on him this week because his recent form isn't that great. His last four tournaments, he's got miscut 38th at the Waste Management and then miscut at the Farmers, miscut at the Amex. But then before that, he finished 11th at the Sony. So I think that this could kind of be a get-right tournament for Corey Connors at a place he really likes. Like I said, finished third here last year. And you're going to – I have to pick Corey Connors at the Arnold Palmer when I can get him for 7,600. He's one of the better ball strikers out on tour. Uh, and I'm definitely picking ball strikers this week. Yeah, you got you got to love the ball striking, Sam. The, the thing you worry about in that is at, whenever you deal with a really good ball striker, there's two things. One is that – if their putter gets really, really bad, then there's only so much that can be done. Or what they've relied on so much is their their short game to, to piggyback them. If uh, or their or I'm sorry, their their long game to piggyback them. If that starts to fall apart, then what do you have to have your backbone on? So I, I do like Corey Carnes this week. It, it, he's one of those guys to where it's just a matter of time before he starts getting the ball rolling again. And so I think that that time is coming. So my next uh, my next two picks, Sam, are the same value. So I'm just going to go ahead and uh, start with uh, with the one that I probably like the most, in all honesty, which is kind of the opposite of how I should do this. But 8100, I really like Sergio this week. I mean, he he's played really well at Bay Hill uh, in in 31 rounds here, Sam. He's gaining 1.98 on the field. There's only two guys who have played here more than, or I'm sorry, it, yeah, there's only two guys here who have played more than 10 rounds at this course. You're getting more strokes than Sergio, and that's Rory and Sungjae. So two guys who are going to definitely be highly owned this week. And so uh, Sergio was playing pretty good over in uh, in on Europe to the DC World Tour. So really like me some Sergio this week for 8,100. I think that's a really good value. I agree with that. I, I've always kind of liked Sergio at a place like this. Uh, 
you know who I el- who else I liked at a place like this last year was my next pick at 7,700, Justin Rose. Uh, and guess what he did here last year? He got hurt and withdrew, uh, and he was my one-and-done pick last year at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. So I'm giving him a second chance, and the reason being is because he has played well here in the past. In 2018, he finished third. In 2016, he finished ninth. In 2013, he finished second. And in 2011, he finished third. Uh, and then if I go to his recent finishes, he's sneaky been playing some solid golf. At the Farmers, he finished sixth. And at the RSM, he finished 12th. Uh, so I think that Justin Rose at 7,700 is too low uh, for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, assuming he's healthy this year and we don't have to watch him eat ice cream in my face on the weekend <laughs> that was great wasn't it he just kept it kept on the old mastercard commercial just kept rubbing it in your face just kept showing you, hey I'm, I'm still here you know i just want you to know that i'm still alive i'm just not playing the tournament because i, I felt like withdrawing on sand so i just love it all right so my next pick i'm going all the way up from 8100 to 8100 still uh like i said so i am going with the guy you were talking about he's been playing some good golf he, i believe he's finished uh top 10 his last three events that's Keith Mitchell. And he also plays really well here. One, uh, or no, I'm sorry, he didn't win here. He won the Honda. But in, in 12 rounds here, he's gained a 1.93 on the field. 2019, he finished sixth. And 2020, he finished fifth. So, guy who really likes this course and is playing exceptionally well golf as of lately. Keith Mitchell may be playing the best golf of his career right now. I, I'm sorry, he hasn't finished top 10. He finished 12th. So, his last three events, he's finished inside the top 12. So, I want to make sure I get that actually correct so really love Keith Mitchell I think that he's right there with Steve Bezel as a really best bet for a top 20 for sure okay well my next pick is actually going to be my winner of the tournament at 9100 one of the most consistent guys on tour so far this year Mark Leishman Mark Leishman finished second here in 2020, finished seventh here in 2018, won it in 2017, uh, really loves this place. And recently at the Genesis, 15th, Farmers, 16th, Century, 10th, Houston Open, 19th, Shriners, third, Fortinet Championship in the fall, fourth. He's been playing great golf, and if I go look at his stats, T-Dub, so far in the 2022 season, he's gaining .7 shots per round putting and .65 strokes per round strokes gained approach. That adds up to 1.35 total shots per round for Mark Leishman so far this year, one of the most consistent guys on tour, and I feel like he's kind of been lurking in that top 10 range and now he's going to break through and win again for the second time at the Arnold Palmer Invitational at 9,100 on DraftKings. I mean, you, I mean, you look you look at Leishman, too, Sam. He's played here, I believe, what, 42 times, and he's gaining uh, 1.55 strokes on the field. His best cut here last year was one of his few best cuts at this course. And so, you know, one of the things I look at, too, Sam, it seems like, like you mentioned all these great finishes, and I picked him at the Sony Open where he finished 36, and that seems like the only time in the last, Five months and he's played bad golf, so I, yep. I think you 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 might have you might have slipped one there because I'm not going to be bringing him down. So I, I, I definitely find it interesting that uh, you know going with Mark Leishman in a field that's this stacked. I do think that you'll be one of the uh, the few people who does uh, that has that uh, wrapped up. So I'm going to go with my most expensive guy, and he's the most expensive on, on DraftKings. I don't know if I necessarily picked him to win the tournament just because we're talking about how he's had such a hard time winning on, on the tour for whatever reason and hasn't played here before so that's always something to look at but 
at eleven thousand four hundred, I gotta write John Rahm until until he shows me something off because you know Daddy Golf has him as such a big favorite. I thought about putting Rory in this in this slot, but and because I, I really like Rory this week, but on DraftKings, Rom was only three hundred more expensive than Rory, and I think that Rom is just a better player right now than Rory is, no matter the course. So I, I'm going to roll with that, and I, I I don't have a problem if you're filling out your lineup and you and you like I don't feel like you should go out of your way to make sure that Rom is is ahead of Rory, but if you have the extra cash there, I'd go ahead and roster Rory. Or I'm sorry, Rom over Rory this week if if it's the Yeah, I have to go Rom as my most expensive as well. And off the tee, T Dub, I mean gaining one point three shots per round off the tee? Unbelievable. And also gaining a shot approach. I mean, John Rom is the best player on the PGA tour right now. And I mean, look at it this week. It's a great field. And John Rahm has an 88.8% chance to make the cut and a 10.9% chance to win the golf tournament. That's 5.9 percentage points higher than second place is that is Victor Hovland, who has a 5% chance to make the cut. I mean, that you have to put John Rahm in your DraftKings lineup this week. I think you have to. I think the the one thing that I'm worried about with Rom is I don't I don't think it's even going to hold him back from making the cut because he's striking the ball that well. But but Sam, his putter the last couple of weeks he's played waste management and Riviera have been so bad. It's unbelievable. So maybe, so maybe a different type of yes, you know, it's bad for tour standards too, right? Because he's been close to DFL in each time he's made the cut. So or each time he's played it because he's made the cut every one of them. So maybe going to the Bermuda surfaces will change that. I kind of think that it will just getting a, a different. Testament. And, you know, one thing, too, about Rom, Rom's one of those guys where it's like it, it, like it, when you're just watching the golf, right, and, and you see it's a hard course and you see people making bogeys on, on, like, every third hole or whatever. Like, anytime Rom makes a bogey, you're just, like, astonished. You're like, oh, my God, he bogeyed? I didn't know he could even do that. So I just think that Rom's so steady on that aspect where he's not going to give bogeys – he's not going to give strokes back to the field if it starts getting tough because he's just that good of a ball striker. I totally agree with you there, T-Dub. Okay, who are you going with in one and done? So, on, on the same avenue that, that we've talked about, I, none of us have mentioned him yet, but I really, really like this pick. He's 9,400 on DraftKings if anyone wants to roster him. I didn't roster him just because I can't. I don't do both of them at the same time. But he did finish 10th here last year in his only appearance and has been playing exceptionally well. You took him at Torrey, Sam. And I think he's going to have a very similar finish to like he did there. I think Willie Z finished his top five. Wow. Okay. I like that. I like that pick. Willie Z at the Arnold Palmer. Like I said, I'm going Mark Leishman. Colby it, for the one and done at the Arnold Palmer is going Sungjae. Now, T-Dub, you want to pick a one and done for Colby for the for the Puerto Rico Open? <laughs> I mean, we could probably find some uh, some scraps to give him down there at the bottom. Let's, let's find him. Uh, let me pull up the field here. I'm going to try to find who's some old, who's an old player who lost his status and trying to get it back. Um, <laughs> oh, we can give him Kevin Stadler. We can give oh, Kevin Stadler. yeah. That's a good one. Andres Romero. Oh, here we go. Ricky Barnes. We can give Ricky, Ricky Barnes. Barnes is playing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like. Hey, 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 Sam, Sam, here's Ricky Barnes's, uh finishes uh, over his last, like, 12 tournaments. Miscut, miscut, DQ, miscut, 62nd, miscut, 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 miscut. You know the famous story about Mark Rogers picking Ricky Barnes in the U.S. Open and he wasn't even in the golf tournament. It's hard to 
hard to win a trophy, Sam, when you're not even allowed to participate. How high? How high? Ricky Barnes. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Let's let's not undermine it, Sam. Ricky Barnes was one of the best amateurs out there. I mean, he had one of the best amateur golf careers of all time. I mean, he was a phenom at um at uh, I believe he went to Arizona. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with 23. I'm gonna go with 15th. Alrighty, let's see. I got his Wikipedia here. I while didn't you're, click on while it you're yet, looking so that up, I'll, I'll read off some of my best bets for the week. Uh, like you were talking about, Willie Z comes in at plus 250 uh, to finish top 10. I kind of like that. Um, if I go down to some tournament matchups that I really like, I like John Rahm versus Victor Hovland. Um, I like I really like John Rahm versus Scotty Scheffler at minus 180. I know, um, or, or really, I would give that stroke and a half and do minus 135. Um, going down the list here, uh, maybe a Willie Z uh, underdog against Paul Casey, Mark Leishman against Adam Scott. Those are those are some interesting ones. Um, and then uh, to win the tournament outright, you have John Rahm at plus seven hundred, uh, Roy McIlroy at plus a thousand uh, to win. Like I said, maybe go with a little bit of a long shot. Justin Rose at plus five thousand. I kind of like. Um, Corey Connors at plus 6,000, your guy, Luke list at plus 6,600. Um, what, what do you like about those? Uh, do you have anyone else that you want me to look up T-Dub on best bets? You know, I think that, you know, if this was going to be a week that Rory was finally able to, to kind of, I wouldn't say break through cause he won a Cole hollow last year, but with all of his final round woes that have been going on, I do think this is a, a time for Rory to, to kind of like, you know, because I think he embraces that role of being kind of the spokesman for the tour like you and Colby have been talking about. So if he's able to come out and get a win on that aspect, I think that would be that would be exceptional. And I do think that this is a course that, that he was able to do that. One, one guy, Sam, we hadn't talked about. He just won a couple weeks ago, but has been playing maybe a top five player in the world right now. Scotty Scheffler. I mean, I think he's got a great chance to win this yep. tournament, even though, you know, he's just one of those guys we don't talk about that much. But and once Plus again, another Texas yep. too. So I, I think that that's uh, 14 to 1. That also shows something there in this good a field that, uh, you know, take that a 1 out of 14 times he would win this tournament. Pretty telling. Sam, we were way off on our Ricky Barnes, man. I, I thought that he was I thought that he was a better professional than this. His highest true, or world ranking was 58 in 2000. Really? I thought he was that better than that, too. Extremely. I mean, here, here, here's, the, uh, here's the amateur record we got here. So he did play at Arizona, like I said. He was Pac-10 Freshman of the Year 2000, uh, Co-Player of the Year 2001, uh, Second Team All-American 2000-2001, First Team All-American 2003, won the USAM in 2002, actually beat Hunter Mayhem that year. Uh, a lot of people may remember that around this area. Him and him and Hunter Mayhem shared the Ben Hogan Award in 2003, which Hunter Mayhem is also known for having such a stellar collegiate career, so it kind of goes on that aspect. How about this, Sam? He, uh, he played with Tiger in the 2003 Masters because the uh, USAM played with the, uh, the reigning champion. And uh, Ricky finished 21st that year and beat Tiger by seven shots in the opening round. That's pretty uh, – that's not very many people could say they did that. Wow. That, that is it, – it, that's pretty crazy. T-Dub, real quick, I just saw this one tournament matchup that really piqued my interest. All right, you got Ricky Fowler – and Patrick Reed, even money. Who are you taking? Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> that is. I mean, God, my my soul kind of hurts just even thinking about. It. Um, <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you, Sam. It, it's one of those things where it's yeah. Has Ricky been playing very good? No, not really. But but Reed has been playing absolutely terrible. 
I mean, his golf game has gone straight to the pooper, and it went there quick. Um, <laughs> so I, I would have to, I would have to lean Fowler on this aspect, and even though uh, Fowler is uh, five hundred dollars uh, cheaper on DraftKings, and I would rather, I would rather roster Fowler than I would uh, Reed. I, I totally agree with you. I would go Ricky Fowler there as well. Um, by the way, your best bet in Oklahoma City as far as dentistry goes is to go visit our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. Doctors Phil and Brennan Ring will get you right. I know the family personally, and they are great, great people. You can do same-day crowns, and their motto is save what you can, replace what you can't, and Every decision is up to the patient. Go visit our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. And by the way, our newest sponsor, Groove It, I'll say it one more time. Go visit GrooveItBrush.com and enter the promo code 73rd hole and get 10% off a Groove It brush for everybody. Get them for your family. Get them for your friends. These things are awesome. And like I said, like Ring Family Dentistry, they're Oklahoma people. So are the people at Groove It Brushes. Clint Sanderson is a great man and really support golf companies in the state of Oklahoma. All right, T-Dub, we will be back next Monday to recap the Arnold Palmer Invitational. And then Tuesday, we have a huge day We are going down to interview the Oklahoma golf team live from the Co-Center in Norman. It's going to be a blast. So stay with us here on the 73rd hole, the award-winning official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.